0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, I'm Sarah Steele, and I host a podcast called Let's Talk About Sex. I look at a different cult each episode, examining the group's leadership, beliefs, recruitment methods, member experiences, and any notable incidents during its existence. It's a monthly podcast with a heavily researched, deep-dive storytelling style. That's Let's Talk About Sects, and the website is ltaspod.com for all your podcast provider links. Hope you'll have a listen.
1: A Heartbreaking Tale I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town.
0: The pieces starting to come together tonight for the investigators who have been desperate to figure out how that family flew off that cliff in California and whether it was on purpose. Three kids and their moms were found dead, and three other kids are still missing tonight. And this has now been over a week. The searchers
2: still scanning that
0: crash site today.
2: We're going to be discussing Jennifer Hart and her wife, Sarah Hart, the couple who murdered their six adopted children by driving the family's SUV off a cliff in Mendocino County, California. I found this story incredibly sad and compelling and having lots of different themes that I think we talk about in a lot of the stories that are of this nature. This is not an uplifting one, I will say. No,
1: this is a tough one. I, I didn't mm-hmm. recognize it by the name, but as soon as you said what happened, I mean, it's pretty yeah. recent as well. So, Yeah.
2: But again, I think it's it's worthwhile to talk about. And I think there are so many details that I think can be learned from and their story... Again, it's it's heartbreaking, it's insane, and there's just a lot to it. So Jennifer Jean Hart and Sarah Margaret Gangler were both from South Dakota. Jennifer attended Huron High School while Sarah moved to Minnesota. Sarah went to University of Minnesota for one semester of college, while Jennifer went to Augustana University, which is a private Lutheran school in North Dakota. On Facebook, Jennifer stated that the women were initially closeted and faced ostracism since they publicly outed themselves at their respective schools. This is the start of like a theme of this story too, with disclosure on Facebook versus the reality of their life, which is a theme of all of our lives, I think, which again, it's resonant in that way. But they both transferred to Northern State University, majored, both of them, in elementary education with a focus on special ed. And this is where they started their relationship. So it went from friendship to romantic, which was, of course intense. For years, Jennifer and Sarah told people they were friends or roommates until they eventually decided to come out as lesbians in this new school setting. When they did reveal their relationship, Jen later said that they lost friends and that, quote, the Midwestern mindset was relentlessly unforgiving and unaccepting. Jennifer didn't end up graduating from Northern State while Sarah did. In 2004, the couple moved to Alexandria, Minnesota, where Sarah Gengler officially changed her last name to match Jennifer's. Jen was recognized by people who knew her as more of the dominant person in the relationship. She was very outspoken. She had a big personality. She liked order. She was pretty type A. Sarah, on the other hand, was seen as more sensitive, more passive. Both worked at the same department store until Jen became a stay-at-home mom in 2006, while Sarah kept working and became the manager at various department stores. Although most of the income eventually that they got was through the state once they started adopting kids, especially the state of Texas, which is where the majority of their children were from. In summer of 2004, before they adopted their six children, Jennifer and Sarah, both in their mid-20s, adopted Lee, which is not her real name, who she says herself, she was a difficult 15-year-old who had been in and out of foster care. She had had problems relating to people. She had behavioral issues, again, all her words. She also said the first six months were really good. We went camping, we went to events, we kept busy. We did a lot of things I hadn't really done before. She reiterates the fact that Sarah was more quiet, Jen was more outgoing. They lived in a two-story house with a dog and a bunch of cats and everything was fine until Lee observed, and this is from an interview that she did, there were some strange things that started to happen with her in relation to the two of them. She only vaguely remembers a makeover in which they brought her to the department store that they both worked at. And Lee, who called herself a tomboy, was not really into it. Jennifer Jen and Sarah were annoyed that she didn't want the makeover, so they shared some information with her co-worker, Dorothy Smith, while another, you know, person like at the makeup counter was attempting to give her the makeover. Smith said she heard from the couple about some problems they were having with the girl, including that she ate out of the trash, a claim that hurts and baffles Lee, who said she never Absolutely did not do that. And then, then they started arguing. So Lee mostly fought with Jen. One day, the three of them went to Lambeau Field for a Green Bay Packers game and brought footballs, hoping to have them signed by Amon Green, who was like the big star running back at the time. Jen was a huge, huge fan of Green, and when they approached him, Green signed Lee's football, and Jen freaked out and didn't talk to her for days. She thought that she was being a brat. She thought she was being, you know, trying to make a point to get it signed, even though really, Lee was a teenager. And if you're a star football player, you're going to probably sign like the kids football and not the adults. So friction grew in the family. And Lee was planning on staying with the hearts until she was 18. And the family was also very open about adopting more kids after Lee and leaving the older child prepping her to be a good older sister, to be a good influence. They were kind of making plans. The couple went to Texas for a week to meet the first set of two sets of siblings they would adopt. As Lee remembers, there was a brother and a sister, and then there was a mom who was pregnant with another girl, and the Hearts were supposed to adopt the little infant when she was born, too. A week before the Texas children were due to arrive, the Hearts dropped Lee off to a therapist appointment. Sitting her down, the therapist broke the news that Jen and Sarah would not be coming back to get her, Lee was going to live with a new family starting immediately, which is so insane considering, like, it felt like the family who was already in the process of adopting more kids would kind of disregard the feelings. And even if it wasn't working out and the process around socializing this older kid, the therapist reassured her that it wasn't her fault. They were just not a good fit. Another couple came to the therapy appointment, picked her up and brought her her home to their home. All her belongings were already there. Lee never even said goodbye to Jen and Sarah. She just automatically had a new home and new foster parents. And it was just like, that is that. End of discussion. No more dialogue around it. So that is something that I read up on really before I read more about the tragedy with the Hart family, but this seems so indicative of what is to come where something isn't working out or something is not ideal. And instead of it, almost reminds me of, and this is a strange parallel, but like a TV show where it's like Fargo where it's like you're in too deep and you don't know what to do. So you just keep digging in and making worse decisions and worse decisions. And then finally like you're in a place where like you're at rock bottom and you, and you orchestrated tragedy.
1: You're talking about it in the world of Fargo, not you watching Fargo. (laughs) Is it you like you've watched so much Fargo, you can't stop watching it or is in the world of Fargo in the world of Fargo.
2: But I also could, I'm good with this metaphor too. Yeah. Like how many, like you get to the bottom of like a cheddar cheese popcorn bag and you just get another one. You don't decide to eat a carrot. You just keep going. And then you add a bottle of wine to that. And suddenly you're passed out in your own bed watching Fargo. That is germane to what we're talking about right now. In 2006, Jen and Sarah adopted Abigail, who was three years old, Hannah Jean, four years old, and Marcus Hart, who was eight, from Colorado County, Texas. In June 2008, they adopted three more kids: Sierra, six; Devante, four; and Jeremiah, three, from Houston. In 2009, the couple went to Connecticut to be married. At the time, same-sex marriage was not yet legal in every state. In 2010, Minnesota's child welfare agency received six reports of abuse or neglect two of which were deemed to be founded. In 2008, Hannah Hart was seen with bruises on her left arm, and when a teacher had asked her about it, she said she had been hit by Jennifer with a belt. That same year, Abigail said that she had owies on her back and stomach. The incident was supposedly over a penny. Abigail said she had found it, but Sarah and Jennifer did not believe her. According to Abigail, this led to her head being held under cold water while being hit by Jennifer. When the authorities got involved, all the children claimed they had been spanked constantly and had food withheld from them. Sarah, however, took responsibility for the abuse, pleaded guilty to assault, and was sentenced to community service for a year. Abigail at the time, along with some of her siblings were enrolled in Woodland Elementary School, with the remainder enrolled in Alexandria Public School. One year later, Hannah reportedly told a school nurse that she had not eaten all day. In response to this, Sarah claimed that Hannah was merely playing the food card and recommended that Hannah just be given water. Around this time, all six children were abruptly taken out of their public schools and were homeschooled from then onward. It's just like, also like, isolation and isolation and isolation. I'm
1: very ignorant to the, you know, the how the um, adoption system works, but I, I didn't realize that you can just ad- like return and adopt mm-hmm. half a dozen kids kind of willy-nilly and then i don't know what that's like why don't you start with maybe a few and then see it how it seem- goes so it just seems like they just wanted i don't know like you mentioned like the the, the benefits they got financially or mm-hmm. they just wanted a big family or something like yeah that.
2: well i just want to note that when they first adopted lee again not her real name they were in their mid-20s 25 let's say lee was 15 that's a ten-year age difference. It's really not like a parent-child relationship, and so when that was happening, and when this, you know, when we get to the late two thousands, they're not even thirty yet here, and they're adopting these kids. They're working the system. It's they're, it's they're like growing an up themselves.
1: I, I yeah. assume it's not like they're like, oh, we've tried to have kids for a while, and like now yeah. we're in our forties. Let's
2: and not just say learn. you can be, you can't be twenty-five, and or like you know, or like I, I don't think that is true, but I think. It's like, yeah, it just feels like they're going about this in a way that is really obviously cavalier already. But nobody's stopping
1: that. Nobody's saying don't do this. Do you want six more? No, we'll start with like six essentially. Exactly.
2: And I think it's something to do with them being in a different state of the kids that they're adopting. I think that they really knew the, the rules. I mean, not well enough, as we will soon find out, but they knew how to work this system in ways where they could get the maximum amount of money, which they would need for all the kids, but also for themselves. And only one of them was working, so they had limited income to begin with. Sarah Hart admitted to physically harming Abigail and was convicted of misdemeanor domestic assault. So she was charged with that in Minnesota, but then the family would move elsewhere. But before they do, let's take a little break. Though we love what we do, Jason and I don't just Google true crime and weird history all day. Sometimes we need a freaking break. That's when I close my computer and pick up my phone for a little Best Fiends. Have you heard of it? You should, because it's gotten over 100 million global downloads. We're huge fans of it, and you should be too. Best Fiends challenges your brain with fun puzzle levels, but it's not like this huge thing. It's casual. You can play one level or 17, whatever time allows for. There are enough stresses in our life right now. Don't let a game stress you out. Best Fiends is also a game anyone can play, literally. It is for adults, but honestly anyone can, and enjoy themselves. Let me break it down. Best Fiends is an awesome mobile puzzle game and honestly different from anything I've ever played. It engages my brain, it's fun, and is whatever type of commitment you want. It's so low maintenance, you don't even need the internet. The internet. Speaking of internet, I was playing Best Fiends just to chill one day, I'm close to level 200, and my power went out. And honestly, I did not even notice. I played and like relaxed, and I was off the grid, and it was so fantastic. I only noticed I had no power or internet when it came back on and I had to get back to whatever I was doing at the time. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends.
1: Hello. Hi. How are you? This is Whoa. our check-in. This is our weekly check-in.
2: Oh boy, what a week.
1: It's, it's definitely, it's been a week. hmm how are you
2: yeah How's how it going? are you what's happening over there? Are you getting enough to eat shanatova
1: <laughs> don't don't make this political okay
2: so I'm sorry I'm sorry yeah we're 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 getting into autumn we're again weathering more of quarantine we are just dealing with it at least I will say that there's one just trying to keep things positive we. As Californians can finally, Los Angelinos, I, I guess, can finally go outside again. That was a real, real big, big blow to my mental health in that we really couldn't go outside the past, I would say, week and a half, two weeks, because the air was so bad from all the fires. So at the very least, I can go outside and take a walk.
1: We want to say hello to our political party.
2: That's right. <laughs> and the
1: members of it. Hello. All of our mayors, Ben Forsythe, Brendan Gaddis, Jeanette Link, Ashley Matson, and our esteemed governor, Chris Witt. Hello, thank Hello. you for keeping it all together. We just put out another thank episode you. for the people in the Alderman leveling up. Mm. Rebecca, Rebecca, we did Ghost Town versus
2: I'll Be Gone in the Dark. I'll Be
1: Gone in the Dark, yeah. yeah. Too heavy for me.
2: Powerful, very powerful. You almost heard me cry, yeah. Alderman and above. Because <laughs> I was I was editing it, and I was like, uh, I can't. <laughs> it is a lot. It's a lot. Um, That's not a spoiler. That's I mean, that's you could say that to anything we're really going through this day and age, but.
1: It is a lot. Yeah. But hello to all our patrons. Thank you so much for supporting us. It is patreon.com slash ghost town pod. Mm-hmm. Thank you. The book.
2: The book. It's we must. almost
1: here in a matter of days. It will be here. Abandoned yeah. in historic Los Angeles, Neon and Beyond. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, a lot of great local bookstores, supporting yeah. local bookstores. We're doing some events in some way that we're working out right mm-hmm, now. Absolutely, that, that's, that's gonna, we'll let you know. You know if you, those can be viewed or, or how that's going to work, and mm-hmm. we're tying it into a lot of Halloween, so it's not just reliant on the the book. No, it's you know it's, it's part of a bigger picture. Yeah, I try to. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. it's like a f- like a festival. It's you know, a festival it's like a fire festival. It's a fire <laughs> yeah. festival. Of, of content.
2: That's right. So, um, please so give us thousands out. of dollars.
1: So please check that out. Uh, you can find it at ghosttownpod.com slash book. And there's still some time to enter the giveaway. I just put up another... YouTube video at youtube.com slash jason horton. Rebecca is in this one. Ooh,
2: sorry, everybody.
1: It's the one we did about the Roosevelt Hotel. Since
2: it's Halloween, very fun. I
1: crafted a video around it, but there's a very bunch of fun. episodes, and I'll be putting them up every week. So please subscribe, give it a like, mm-hmm. watch it if you want to. But did you
2: include the part where she read me off the cuff? Yes. Oh Somebody's boy. already
1: commented on that.
2: Mm, what did they say?
1: I think they said, "Is this a is this a haunted <laughs> this story a or a therapy session?"
2: <laughs> Um, therapy session, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. I can't afford anything else.
1: So that is available. Ghost Town Pod on TikTok has been blowing up. Mm -hmm. It's been going, you know, if you want to see some extra little filming locations, it's really easy to watch. TikTok is still up and running. Definitely.
2: you don't get a lot of visuals when you're listening to us, which for the best, perhaps, but you will get more visuals on our TikTok, Jason's YouTube page. Instagram the, the, the Ghost
1: Town YouTube has you yeah. know put up episodes on there if you just wanna check those out and, and listen on there for whatever reason. For whatever reason. It's 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 all there. Mm-hmm. It's all there waiting for you. Uh exactly. I was on a, a pod, yeah, I've been doing a lot of podcasts Talking about Rebecca. I was on one today, but... Oh, me. We, I said, I was like, oh, did... This is when we went to the Janis Joplin room. I was like, oh, did Rebecca see any ghosts? I was like, no, she started dating one, though. Was <laughs> they're like, not putting labels on it? Yeah. <laughs> so It's like, we're the...
2: taking it really slow. And then he like, didn't text me for three yeah. days. And yeah. it's yeah. like, hello, are you here? Yes. Are you on this plane? And that
1: was the origin of the word ghosting, invented oh, by Rebecca.
2: hello. <laughs>
1: Modern term. Remember
2: me for this.
1: Yes, queen. Yes, queen. Come.
2: That's right. Yes, oh, okay, bitch. <laughs>
1: I was on a podcast, showing up with Asher Gottsman. It was really great. Just talked about how I took a chance. Talk about ghost. T- I took a chance on doing a podcast, which was a huge risk.
2: Yeah, huge yeah, risk. A huge huge risk. financial risk.
1: <laughs> but, uh, Still yeah. is
2: in some ways. It
1: sure it sure is. But and if you do want a book, I'm we're you know getting some that you you know you do, you can order if you want to and probably get it quicker. But if for some reason you want us to sign it or anything like that, that interests mm-hmm. you just message us let us know cuz we're Absolutely. getting a couple of thousand dollars worth of books yes so and we I, want I,
2: I, them in the world a
1: nice negative bank account mm-hmm. to to round things mm-hmm. off
2: we work for you
1: and should we, should we get, get, yeah, I mean, we're. Should, I think we've been kind of a little bit stalling because this is like a pretty painful story. This is a very story. dark,
2: but again, I think it's important, like we we do things that range from very light, obviously, and kind of tongue in cheek to very dark. This is one of the dark ones. I also feel like, and I've been listening to more True Grand podcasts than I ever have, which is odd because my mental health is worse than it ever has been. But I think there is something cathartic to listening to it and talking about it, which is why I selected this one. But let's get back to it. We're going to go to 2013 to Westland, Oregon, where the Hart family moves after Minnesota. Authorities in Oregon had begun their own investigation into the family after being notified of all the things that happened in Minnesota. This investigation included separate interviews of everyone in the family, as well as interviews of people who knew the family. So kind of overt, really. Two interviews with the family and friends relayed that the children were forced to raise their hands before speaking, could not wish each other happy birthday, and could not laugh at the dinner table. Other reports were related to how the children were poorly fed and looked small for their ages, and how they acted, quote, scared to death of Jen and like, quote, trained robots. One family friend reported that Jen had ordered a pizza for the children, but each was only allowed to have a small slice. When Jen discovered that the pizza was gone, she punished the children by not feeding them breakfast and forcing them to lie in their bed for five hours. The interview of the children themselves revealed no new incidents of abuse or any mention of what happened in Minnesota, surprising nobody. When Jen herself was interviewed, she said that any problems were because of others, quote, intolerance of same-sex couples with six black kids. In the end, the investigation could not conclude whether the Hart mothers were guilty of anything or whether there was a safety threat at all. And it's interesting too, because going back to Lee, the first adopted teenager of them, she adamantly says that the heart wives loved their kids. Like they, they loved them. They just got in too deep. So there's this push and pull of like the opportunism of adopting kids and real love and perhaps passion for raising ch- children, for having a family. Like i I would like to know where you fall after all of this, after we get through all of this. But very interesting. That's what their life looked like. The family rented a house and raised goats and chickens in the backyard. Sarah worked. Jen stayed home with the kids. The family was big into music festivals, going to multi-day gatherings, focused on togetherness, dance, yoga, all like socially conscious messages. That kind of atmosphere. Like, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The Hart children were often seen dancing and singing at these events or like with painted faces, with signs that said like pride, equality, you know, all that social justice, all the social justice messages, these adorable pictures of these little kids being proponents of that message. In a strange development, Devante Hart gained national attention when the 12-year-old was photographed crying as he embraced a police officer during a Portland protest. The image became known as the Hug Felt Round the World. Jennifer Hart, as I said, was very active on social, used every photo she could to portray a loving, happy family while also sharing her thoughts on race, politics, trips. And this photo of Devante absolutely like blew that up. It's a
1: great, it's a great photo. It is a great
2: photo. It's I mean, it's like so like heart-wrenching and emotional. In a
1: world full of Performative photos Mm -hmm. and the orchestrated photos. I mean, this is like a real. I mean, uh, it it it's a real kind of gem in in all of those. It's really great Mm -hmm. and it's really moving and and you know really important. I'm sure I'm sure there's people that saw that that fall on whatever side of this you know the side of the Mm -hmm. culture war or whatever it is that could agree that it's like wow this is a really touching and really moving photo.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it also just makes it all the more depressing because you now know like kind of what's happening behind the scenes. All of this contributed to Jennifer Hart's use of Facebook saying that the kids pose and are made to look like one big happy family. But after the photo event, they go back to looking lifeless. So, you know, this nationally renowned celebrated photo contributed to Jen's posting and her identity as a mother of, you know, children of different races and her own LGBTQ identity all of this uh, helping a cause and like holding up a cause but at the same time the hypocrisy of, of the neglect and abuse behind the scenes the hart family moved to woodland washington in 2017 in august of that year hannah hart jumped out of her bedroom window around 1 30 a.m to try to contact their neighbors bruce and dana dekalb the dekalbs noticed that the six Hart children rarely left the house and that the blinds were usually drawn hannah pleaded with them don't make me go back. They're racist and they abuse us. Soon afterwards, Jen and Sarah found Hannah and brought her back home. Jen later attempted to explain this by saying that Hannah was lying, that the children occasionally acted out because they were drug babies, quote from Jen, and that Hannah's biological mother was bipolar. The DeKalb family, incredibly concerned, reported every incident to authorities. And they are a huge element of, of why this came to light. But unfortunately, like, didn't end up helping in the end. When Dana DeKalb asked to speak to Hannah alone, Jen replied, We do everything as a family. Hannah then handed the DeKalbs a handwritten note apologizing for her actions the previous night and saying that she lied and was trying to get attention. Dana DeKalb told her father about the bizarre encounter, and he reported Jen and Sarah Hart to the authorities. No follow-up action was taken. Several months later, in March 2018, Devonte Hart approached Bruce DeKalb while he worked on his truck in front of the house. The 15-year-old boy asked if he could have something to eat and nervously asked him to not tell his parents. Bruce DeKalb gave him food, and then this kept happening. He even got a wish list of food from Devante and asked that the DeCalbs leave the items in a box by a fence where his parents wouldn't notice. After more visits from Devante, the DeCalbs decided to alert authorities again. On March 23rd, 2018, Dana DeKalb called Child Protective Services. A CPS worker visited the Hart house and after no one answered the door, left a card on their door. The following day, Saturday, March 24th, the DeKalbs noticed that the GMC Yukon usually parked next to the front door was gone. Sarah Hart had texted her coworkers at 3 a.m. and told them that she was too sick to come into work. Child Protective Services also visited that day, but left because nobody was there. On March 25, 2018, Jennifer Hart was spotted at a Safeway grocery store in Fort Bragg, California, paying $20 for some groceries. On March 26th, Sarah pulled off Highway 1 onto a gravel turnout and stopped the vehicle 70 feet from the cliffs. She then accelerated the car roughly 90 miles per hour, and without touching the brakes, investigators found no skid marks or anything like that, plunged the car off of the 100-foot cliff onto the rocks below, killing herself and her entire family. The bodies of the five children, Hannah, 16, Marcus 19, Jeremiah 14, Abigail 14, Sierra 12 were found in or nearby the vehicle, which landed upside down on a Pacific Ocean beach. The body of Devante 15 had not been found, and it hasn't been found, um, according to my research. A superior court judge ruled that Devonte was in the vehicle at the time of the crash, and a death certificate was signed on April 3rd, 2019. We know this all because the SUV had one of those black boxes that you usually find in airplanes. And so all of this information got recorded. Authorities found out that the Harts had intentionally driven their car off the cliff. Toxicology results showed that Jennifer Hart at the time of the crash was insanely over the alcohol legal limit, 0.102%. The toxicology tests also found that Sarah Hart had 42 doses of generic Benadryl in her system, and two of the children had Benadryl also in their systems. Before the crash, Sarah Hart made Google searches inquiring about Benadryl, no-kill shelters, and the nature of drowning. According to an incident report after the crash, Sarah Hart told a coworker that, quote, during a conversation about kids that she wished someone told her it was okay not to have a big family, that she and Jennifer would not have adopted all of the children. The case was later ruled a murder-suicide, as all the members of, the, of a coroner's jury decided that the destruction of the vehicle and its occupants was on purpose. The jury, made up of eight women and six men, debated the issue for less than an hour. Jennifer Hart's family planned a memorial service but that never happened. But we still remember all the kids and this is again such a sad case and such a unfortunate intersection of so many different things that it is depressing. I don't know how do I end that? It's a it's
1: it's a lot and it's kind of there's so many different details and mm-hmm. facets that make it somewhat unique. Mhm. And I'm one of six children. It's a lot. It's a lot to deal with, especially, you know, and my mother, you know, had me relatively young, but she didn't have five more of me at the same age, you know, Mm -hmm. where it's, how do you deal with all that? And I don't know where someone would get in the mid 2000s, like, well, we don't have any experience with kids. Mm -hmm. We should get six of them at different ages. Yeah. It's easy easy for me to sit here and, and pass a lot of judgment I mean, obviously, we know the end result, and that's not for debate. And it seems like the whatever system is in place, and I don't know if it's because the kids, you know, their their children that were in foster care or you know in the, in that system, that people are like, yeah, just go for it and hear some more. And if stuff happens, it's like, listen, we're doing our best, and mm-hmm. I'm sure people are. The only benefit of having six is like you said I, I, and I don't want to you know it seems like somebody's there's in it for the money mm-hmm. but it must seem to them that the money they were getting was lucrative enough because I just don't see any unless people are like, I've always wanted a big family, and mm-hmm. I don't know who like when some when they say like I wish somebody would tell me like having a huge family immediately was rough, and it's like mm-hmm. who told you it wasn't yeah, like in what world did you live in where you' like, I think this is pretty easy. It's like one job is hard, six jobs is easy. Yeah. It doesn't make any, it doesn't no, make any, it, doesn't.
2: It, it feels like the intersection of so many things of like wanting to belong, like the idea of having a big family, but you know, being a, a lesbian couple and like not have being or being socialized to think that you're maybe couldn't have that but then you can have that but then maybe you're not equipped to have that but the ball is already rolling and you're getting this money and all this stuff culminates and you're in too deep and what do you do
1: And i want to believe that they you know there's moments of or you know the idea of that they weren't hoping this is an end result they weren't mm -hmm. looking for this as an end result they obviously i mean there's just no way you don't have any Issues with mental health and do something like that at the yeah. end. I find that extremely hard to believe that two pe- – because it takes two people to agree. If you said yeah. it was maybe just uh, Jen who was who's driving. Kind of
2: the domineering And then one. maybe
1: she took it upon herself. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't seem like that's the case because it probably took a lot of Benadryl to maybe to dull. The- How about
2: 42 yeah. adult doses of Benadryl? Yeah.
1: So, so, again, like it's easy for us to sit here and say a lot of things. But, I mean, I think there's conclusions that you – can come to at least from a legal standpoint and yeah it's just and it i mean how much does it fall on the system that's yeah. in place that kind of enables that i just didn't realize it was that easy to get a half a dozen kids mm-hmm. especially when you returned one i mean that's really yeah. and i mean for lee was pretty lucky in that sense
2: yeah i mean again tra- tragic story in and of itself very traumatic but also very Lucky, and I think her reflection, especially researching this case, was what I kept coming back to because she had this insight into these, the dynamics of the two people, and she was
1: old enough to, you know, probably key in, recognize it. yeah. Yeah,
2: exactly. And and before they had all the kids too, kind of seeing seeing the couple and how they acted towards children and family and each other before the kids, you know, became you know children complicate things. And, and so I think their dynamic with everything else, like it just, it, it feels like a huge failing of the system, obviously. And again, I, I don't know that much about it, but it does feel like there is some safety in being across the country with it and not, you know, having that one or two other steps from one state to your current state and then moving around to kind of avoid that, that feels dangerous and this is i mean what a horrible horrible thing to have happen to these kids who are completely innocent having
1: kids is hard be yeah. it's not like it's meant to be it's like having one is extremely easy mm-hmm. and five more is just a little bit harder It—it it is hard for for everyone i mean mm-hmm. you know my you know my mother essentially for a lot of time raised all of us mm-hmm. and i also wonder i mean there's this technically grandparents Two mm-hmm. sets of, I mean, I don't know who's involved, but yeah. uh, or families, extended families that mm-hmm. are apparently not directly involved with
2: yeah, what's well, happening with the with the three, the second set of three kids, there was they went to an aunt for a little while and just like things didn't work out. So I mean, it's so it is. It's a tragic failing of the system when we talk about you know, you know, a lot of like systemic. Inequity, like this is certainly the case of that. and But also to further complicate it, I think the social justice thing for me, um, or like advocates for the oppressed, like all of those messages on a surface level feel so uplifting and true. And obviously, like, look at these, the same sex couple, you know, raising these kids, you know, these un- underprivileged African American children. And like, oh, my God, look, how, look on the surface of that and how much – that seems to be inspiring and uplifting and all of that. And then underneath it being completely different. And that is, it's just like such a misleading thing. And I think the idea of, you know, this surface level, social justice, this surface level, like having this cause that goes really no deeper than Facebook feels like a pretty big theme in a lot of people's lives and what we're all kind of trying to deal with, like where does, how far deep does it go? And, and how do we, represent ourselves.
1: Yeah. And I think this is, you, know, you don't have to be in this situation to have a similar thing. Like what you're putting out there mm-hmm. is, you know, really the best shiniest version of mm-hmm. yourself.
2: Yeah. And what's your spin on it? You know, like too again, the idea of diversity and, you know, equality and peacefulness and getting along. This was the opposite of that. Even though like all of their Facebook materials were like y- you, know exactly what I'm talking about like it's kind of like when you open a brochure for like you know a camp or yeah like and
1: it's, it's all like everyone's having fun and yeah be like, around. yeah but-
2: exactly everyone's like a different color and everyone's like doing fun activities and everyone's having an amazing time like that's exactly what their social media was
1: and you get there and it's like a wet hot American summer
2: mm-hmm <laughs>